city. Chris, that was a great song. That was, I have never heard that, but that fits everything that I want to be about perfectly. Uh, today is Pentecost, and so I see some of you knew that and wore red, and some of you knew that and don't have a whole lot of red in your closet like me, and some of you are like, what the heck, like why do you wear red on Pentecost, and what is Pentecost, and that's okay also, and I, I, I'm actually going to use that as an example in a moment of the beauty of what today is about. So before I jump into the text, Pentecost is the day that some people will call the birthday of the church. And I'm not quite sure why they say it that way, but the idea is that the Holy Spirit came in fullness on the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost is a Jewish hallway, uh, hallway? holiday, and Penta being 50. So 50 days after the Passover, they celebrate Pentecost. And it's a kind of a kind of a whole thing, especially in ancient Judaism. And so on the day of Pentecost, the 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 Pentecost after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit came, and we'll read about that now. And we read, we wear red because fire is like one of the ideas that's in this story. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter two and follow along with what I'm going to be reading. When, the, when Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place, they being Jesus' disciples. Now, we don't know if it was all 12 of his closest disciples. We don't know if it was 15 or 20 or 30 or maybe just eight of them. We don't know, but they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. Now there were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And when they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own language. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? And others jeered at them, saying, They're full of new wine. Peter stood with the other eleven apostles, and he raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen closely to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm going to continue on, starting with, continuing at verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene was a man whose credentials God proved to you through miracles, wonders, and signs which God performed through him among you. You yourselves know this. In accordance with God's established plan and foreknowledge, he was betrayed. You, with the help of wicked men, had Jesus killed by nailing him to the cross. God raised him up. God freed him from death's death grip since it was impossible for death to hang on to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation and wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. Peter goes on to continue preaching the gospel, and a bunch of people get baptized, and a bunch of people join the fellowship on that day. And this story we call the birthday of the church because of that event, because Peter's boldness to speak out, and because so many people joined their number on that particular day. That's why we call this the birthday of the church. But the beautiful thing about this story to me is the amount of different types of people who joined in. Now, Pentecost is kind of a confusing day because it deals with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is confusing. Like, it's hard to understand, it's hard to explain, because we have this idea of the Trinity, right? It's a doctrinal idea within Christianity that God is actually three in one. And so, you know, and Sunday school classes, we might say, like, there's water, right? There's a liquid form of water, but also it's still water when it becomes steam. And, and then also you can freeze it, and it's still water. So it's three things, but it's one thing. Or you might say, there's an egg, and an egg has three parts. It's got the shell, and it's got the yolk, and it's got the white part. So, but it's still all the egg. Or you could do it with, like, um, think about your mom. Like, your mom is a friend, and your mom is a spouse, and your mom is a mother, but it's all the one person, right? Like, so we, we think about the Holy Spirit and God and the Trinity in those ways, but when it comes to the Spirit, Methodists seem to have forgotten about it sometimes. And, and we get confused and we get a little nervous because it's like, oh, what's going on here? And Oftentimes when we encounter the Spirit, when we're reading in scriptures, it's in weird and crazy ways, you know? Like the Spirit of God descending like a pigeon that I talked about last week, or 
We don't know how to describe it, but this crazy event happened, and all I know is it felt like wind coming through and changing everything. And then it was like our hearts were set on fire. It was almost like there was a flame on each person. Has anybody ever experienced something like that? Where you experience God in a way that you don't quite know how to explain, and if you start to tell it to someone, you realize that they're looking at you like you're the crazy one? When I was, uh, I guess I was like 22, 21, I think I was 21 actually. I know I was 21. I went on this retreat that a lot of people have gone on. The title of it is A Walk to Emmaus. It's a Methodist thing that you go, three-day retreat, and you hear a bunch of talks, and a lot of cool stuff happens. And I was on this retreat, and I was glad to be there, kind of. But also, I was like, I'm getting tired. I kind of want to go home. You're not literally walking, by the way. And one night, I had an encounter. We were all together in the chapel at Sacramento Methodist Assembly, and we were praying together, and I had this thing happen that I don't know how to describe to this day, but my desire for God like, grew exponentially in that moment. And a lot of the things that were part of my life up until that moment, I just kind of was like, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. Like, it just the desire for them went away. Then I came back to Las Cruces, and I pulled into the parking lot of my apartment, which was over here, over here on Mars Boulevard. And I pulled into the parking lot, and there were quite a few cars there. And I recognized, oh, man, they're having a party, which that, you know, pre this weekend, that weekend, I would have been like, all right, there's a party going on. I was like, oh, man, I don't want to have to go in there. But I went in anyway, and it was a small party. Maybe like seven or eight people were there. And when I walked in, the room went silent. And my roommate looked at me, and he goes, what happened to you? And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, you look different. Your story doesn't have to be mine. John Wesley's story is this. Wesley was the, the, the Bible, religion, Christian nerd at, at his university in England, And he and his brother and his friends would get together and study the Bible and try to teach one another how to live better, and they would hold one another accountable. And and they called themselves the Holiness Club. But they were so methodical about how they did things that people started making fun of them, calling them the Methodists. That's where we come from. Bunch of nerds. And he he becomes an Anglican priest, and comes to the United States, or wasn't even really the United States at the time. He comes to North America as a missionary, and he was terrible at it. Failed. And on his way back to England, there's all kinds of legends about what happened. But what we know is that he, at some point in the, between leaving and coming back, he encountered some Moravian Christians. And these Moravians were preaching the gospel and they were singing songs and they were doing all of the things that we like to be part of and John Wesley writes that his heart was strangely warmed. Was this if there was a flame, a tongue of fire around him? And from that point forward, 
he says he was empowered by the Spirit to do the ministry that leads us to be here today. Your story doesn't have to be John Wesley's story either. Some of us in our baptisms are empowered by the Holy Spirit in those moments. Some of us, it just happens through faith. Like, we don't know exactly how this happens. Sometimes it happens later on in life after the fact where all of a sudden, like, everything changes for you. But here's what this story says to me. I love the language thing. And most people are like, oh my gosh, what's that mean? Do we have to start speaking in tongues? What's going to happen? I don't know about that. I'm not afraid of it. I don't really care one way or the other. I think it's whatever. But what I read in this story is that what happened, the miracle wasn't in their speaking. The miracle was in the hearing. Because if David is hearing in Italian and Michelle is hearing in Spanish and Pete is hearing in Greek and whatever language you are the speaker of, I could be standing here speaking English and you would be hearing it as if I was speaking in that language. And this is what that tells me. That every single one of us, regardless of race, regardless of creed, regardless of nation of origin, regardless of any of those things, of anything that we use to separate ourselves from one another, God wipes them all out and says, all of you are welcome. There is a place for you here. The day of Pentecost wipes away everything that we put up as a barrier between us. One of the beautiful things about this particular congregation of United Methodist Christianity that I was told before I ever got here, I've experienced it to be true, and I hope to heaven it happens moving forward for a long, long time, is that this place really does welcome everybody. No asterisks. I was told that this is the purplest of all the purple churches. Meaning you got people that vote in the red, you got people that vote in the blue, and when you mix red and blue together, you get... You took art class. Good job. Did you know that, Steve? Okay, good. Surprised, but that's good. And the beautiful thing is that you live that. It's true. I was skeptical. But it really is a fact. And the other thing that's beautiful about this place is the very first Sunday that I preached here, I had an encounter with a friend of mine from uh, my college days. She was a student at the Wesley Foundation when I was involved at Wesley. And she, by herself, at the Wesley Foundation when I was in college, helped me understand that the kingdom of God is bigger than my stupid box. Because I I don't know about you, but I have a box that everybody should fit in. And if you don't fit in the box, then I don't really know what to do with you. And I got to the Wesley Foundation, and not only did I learn that God's box, well, God doesn't have a box. And neither should we. And so, little by little, the Spirit of God 
is tearing down the walls within my soul to help me realize that I can learn about the grace of God and learn about who I am in that grace through everyone. So keep being that church. Keep being the church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to blow the walls away. Keep being the church that is the church that welcomes everyone in and keep being the people who stand up and say, there is a place for you here, but also there is a place for you here. Because there's a place for me within God's kingdom and that means there's a place for you there also. About a month or so ago, Sarah Davenport gave me this cup. It's a coffee cup, it's red, and it says, there's a place for you. I don't think she planned for it to be a red cup to remind me of the Holy Spirit. But it turns out, it does. Because when I think about the idea that there's a place for you, and that there's a place for me, I have to think about the Holy Spirit. I have to think about the day of Pentecost. And therefore, red, for whatever reason, I think because we get caught up in the whole fire thing, is the color for Pentecost. Whatever you have in your life that will remind you that there is a place for you, and there's a place for everybody else, use that. Because it's so easy For us to be like, oh my gosh, I cannot even believe that person would say those things. And maybe it's an opportunity for us to share some love with them and help them to see things in other ways. But we do that through entering into those conversations with love, generosity, and real genuine curiosity. And in the process of that, I think we learn more about who we are and people learn that they are welcome in our lives And they are welcome in the kingdom of God as well. So Morningstar, keep being who you are. Keep being that church. And also, while I'm at it, you're not a little church. While you may look around this room and we're not even close to full because we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? But um, some of us are able to come and feel comfortable and some of us still watch at home and that's amazing. But what happens, like pre-pandemic, what would happen is there would be 60 people or so here in the morning, like early morning, when you all are still asleep. And then around 9.30, you all would show up with a whole bunch of other people. And then around 11 o'clock, a whole bunch of other people show up again. And all of that together makes one good-sized church. And you get the experience of like a small church when you're here together like this, but we have so much more power than just this little portion of the congregation, and we have so much more power than all of us even together, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I want to say before we move on into communion is that the Holy Spirit is not going to let you stay who you are. The Holy Spirit leads us to challenges. I think that might be the job, partially, of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus has his encounter with the Holy Spirit descending like a pigeon, 
the next thing that happens is the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be challenged. And then the next thing that happens, it's not over. He comes into town, and he gets challenged constantly. He heals people. He gets challenged. Why did you heal people on the Sabbath? He goes along, and he finds someone who's about to be stoned to death, and he's like, hey, all of you, like, relax. If you feel like you're without sin, then throw the first stone. And they're like, we can't do that. And he gets challenged. At every single turn, he gets challenged, and so do we. There's never a perfectly smooth road for us to walk on. But the Holy Spirit strengthens us and sustains us for that journey, for the next mountain we have to climb and the next mountain we have to climb and the next mountain we have to climb. So keep climbing. Keep remembering who you are. Keep welcoming people into your life. Keep remembering that you are welcome and there is a place for you in the kingdom of God. And maybe, maybe all of those things will help to banish the fear that we live with at times. Fear of the other. And may we go forth doing those things in the name of our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.